Wow, awesome. I don't know if you're like me, but it's days like today. I wish I didn't have to speak uh, because the worship is just so amazing, and I wish we could just keep on singing. You may wish I wasn't going to speak for other reasons, but that's the reason I am excited this morning. Man, thank you, DJ. Thank you, worship team. What, a, what an amazing, amazing time to just gather together. Uh, if you're here with us every week, you know it's our joy to gather in this room every week and worship Jesus. And if it's your first time with us, like we've said before, I mean, we're so glad you're here. And we're, we hope you'll find what so many of us have found, uh, that this church, that Riverside is a place you can really call home. That this, for us, is, is our faith family. And, um, and we love getting together every week uh, to see each other, uh, to, to think about Jesus, to recount stories of what he's done in our lives over the past week, and to celebrate the fact that we serve a risen Savior. And today is just another chance for us to do that, and I'm, I'm really excited. I want to go ahead and tell you in the front end that we're going to end a little differently, and we're going to try this for a little bit. And so I, want to, I just want to prompt you, and I want to, to, to ask you to, to embrace this, this, small, this small thing. Uh, normally at the end of our time together, I ask our shepherds to go to the edges of the room uh, and, and invite you to go pray with them if you would like to. And, and I'm sure that they'll, uh, that will still happen in, in, in different places. But today at the very end, what I'm going to ask our elders to do instead is, is to just pray with you wherever you are. And some of you, they know there's needs. Uh, every week we, we see these prayer requests that come in. And so we know that some of you have got people in your lives who are suffering because they're sick or because of a loss in your family or for, for a host of reasons. And, and, and please understand, we don't want to embarrass anyone, but we do want to take advantage of a moment in our time together where if you, especially if you're a, a person who is a part of our faith family here, uh, we, want you, we want to pray with you. And if you have a prayer need and that we're unaware of or, or that maybe a shepherd doesn't come up to, to your area, you, please go, go grab them by the shoulder and pray with them wherever they are. But one of the things that we want to be about, and I think all of us feel this, we have the same heartbeat, that in this place, in this church, because of our love for Jesus, because of our care for each other, because of our belief that God is exactly who he says he is, that we want to be a praying people. And so at the end of our time together, I want to ask our shepherds to just, to just find someone to pray with. And if that's you, I pray that you'll embrace that moment and, and you'll, you'll pray as we sing and that we can even more intentionally become a people of prayer. As DJ said, today we're starting a new series, and um, I'm a little excited about it. Um, uh, I'm a little nervous about it because I think it's going to touch on something that um, is very real in a lot of our lives. I know it's, it's true in, in my life and in the life of my family, and maybe it's true for you and true for your family as well because I want to touch on, I want to talk about over the next few weeks what I believe is at the root of Maybe not of every problem we face, but I believe that this is the one thing that's at the root of so many of the struggles that we experience. And the thing that I want us to lean into over the next few weeks is really this idea of fear. Fear. And I want to ask the question today, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What is it that worries you? What is it that concerns you? What is it that keeps you up at night? What is it that, that, that if you're just being honest, you're terrified. You're terrified about it. You know, maybe as a kid growing up, it was, you know, you were afraid of the dark. But as you got older, you realized that there's a lot of things to be afraid of. And having the lights off is the least of your worries and concerns. Maybe you remember like I do where you were on this exact day. 15 years ago, on September the 11th, when the news broke 
literally around the world, of these two commercial airliners flying right into the World Trade Center towers. And then another one that struck in D.C. at the Pentagon. And another one that went down in Pennsylvania. And all of us, wherever we were in our offices, in our homes, at, at, at the store, wherever we could find a TV, we were all gathering around. And at the same time, I think all of us were experiencing this, this just disbelief. Like, like what we're seeing cannot be happening. Confusion. And also tremendous fear. And for the next several hours, and the next several days... All of us had our TVs tuned to the news. In fact, that's all that was on was the news as we were trying to look for answers and trying to discern what was going on. And all across our country, there was this, this wide range of emotion, but at the very bottom of it was, was fear because we knew what had just happened, even though we couldn't hardly believe it. But we were also scared to death of what might happen next. And the fear of the unknown, the uncertainty of what might happen next was just as terrifying as what had just happened. And in that moment, none of us really knew. We were hoping against hope that the worst was over, but we didn't know. We didn't know what was going to happen next. And I don't know if you remember this, but uh, President at the time, President George Bush, of course, went on TV and he made this incredible speech, calling all the Americans together. And and in his speech, he said this, and I thought this was really, really interesting. I looked back this week at, at his words. In his speech to us on TV that night, he said, Tonight I ask, he said, I ask for your prayers, for all those who grieve, for the children whose worlds have been shattered, for all whose sense of safety and security has been threatened, and I pray that they will be comforted by a a power greater than any of us. And then he goes to Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. I think it's really interesting. I, I, don't know if, I don't know if you remember this, those of you who, you know, some of you weren't born yet, but for those of you who remember 15 years ago when he gave this speech and when all this unfolded, do you remember what life was like the next Sunday? I don't know how it was here at Riverside. I wasn't here then, but I know the church I was at and many of the churches that I, I had contact with, every church was full. There wasn't a seat to be found. Because just like our president, it seemed like so many Americans were turning to God and turning to Scripture and turning to church just to find hope, just to find help, just to find support. And that lasted for a couple of Sundays. And then like things do, things kind of went back to normal a little bit. But I think it's interesting that in a time of such uncertainty, a time of such fear, people turn to God. And people turn to their faith in a time when they didn't know what was going to happen next. And today that's really what I want us to lean into is, is how do we as people of faith, how do we as people who claim to follow Jesus, how do we choose to believe what we say to believe, what we say we believe? Because you, you know this, if, if we believe what we say we believe, it, it literally changes everything. But it's practicing faith in the middle of our fear, especially the fear of the unknown, the fear of the future, the fear of uncertainty, the fear of what might happen next, that really for many of us, even though those of us who, who claim to follow Jesus, we struggle with it. We worry. 
We're afraid. We are a fearful people sometimes. And the truth is we have a lot to be afraid of. Students, I mean, I'm sure you're thinking right now, you know, you're not sure what's going to happen this semester at school. You know, you're not sure where you're going to go to college one day. You're not sure who you're going to marry. You're not sure what you're going to do for work. You're not sure, you know, what's going to happen with your friends next week. You're not sure, you're not sure about so many things. You're going to pass the test and make the grade. I don't know. You don't know. There's a lot to be worried about, stressed out about. They say that this generation is the most stressed out generation in the history of America. And I believe it. There is so much to worry about. We got, we got people in the room that today you're worried about your marriage. Is it going to last? Are you going to make it? You're going through a tough time. You think a tough time might be coming? You're, you're in the middle of raising kids and you're wondering, are you going to make it through this, this, this deal of, of raising your kids and still be committed to, to each other and loving each other through the hardships of working two jobs and keeping your family together? And then when it's all said and done, they go up to college. Will, will you still like her? Will he still like you? You don't know how it's going to all turn out and you're worried about your marriage. Are you going to make it? Are you going to last? You're going to end up like so many people who end up separating over time. We got parents in the room and you're worried about your kids. Are they going to turn out okay? You know, you're doing the best job you can to get them into a good school, to get them into, you know, a good friend group, but you're not really sure how it's going to work out. Are they going to grow up? Are they going to be able to, to find work? Are they going to be able to meet somebody that they can marry who, who is the right kind of person, who, who, who loves God like we love God? Are they going to find that kind of person to marry when they, when they grow up, when they get older? Are they going to turn out okay? Are we going to screw these kids up? <laughs> That's what we worry about in my house. You know, there's so much be worried about the number one thing we say as parents is be safe don't get hurt we're worried about our kids you know we got people in this room and you're worried about the election what if he wins what if she wins should i move to another country (laughs) we we don't know what's going to happen and if we're honest we're afraid and let's just be real honest. We got people in the room today and you're, you're worried about this church. You're concerned about the future. What if the people in leadership of this church make a decision that you don't like? What if your voice is heard, but the leadership goes a different direction? What if you don't get your way? What if things don't go the way you wish they would? What does that mean for you? What does it mean for this church? Where are we headed? Where are we going? What's next? These are the questions that we're hearing. And they're fear. And they're worried about the future. And what I want to ask you to think about is that I'm not sure that as people who claim to have a personal relationship with the God of the universe that we have anything to be worried about. In fact, I would contend that this would be one of the major themes. It it could be our headline story that separates those of us in this room who know Jesus and follow him from the rest of the world. That when they look at us, that they would see that there is a difference in us. And the difference is so astounding because while the rest of the world is consumed with fear and worry and concern and anxiety, what they see in people who follow Jesus is a calm and a trust 
in a belief in a faith. Because we know what so many people don't know. That there is a God. And he's been around a long time. He's seen a lot of kings and queens come and go. He's seen a lot of presidents come and go. And the church continues to move forward. And we know this because we have, throughout the pages of Scripture, stories. Stories of people who, who mind you, were imperfect. But through their life and through their story, we can see the evidence of what happens when people, especially people who are going through uncertain times, put their faith in God. And what I want to do through this series over the next few weeks is I want to invite you into their stories. And I want to remind all of us what Scripture says about the people who put their faith in God. About people who believe what they said they believed. And trusted in the one that we trust in. And I want to remind you how their story began and how it ended. And I want you to see what happens in the life of people who, who believe. Who choose to believe in the middle of incredibly difficult circumstances. And maybe your life today is in one of those, one of those twists, one of those turns where you don't know what's going to happen next. If that's you, I want you to lean in today. Because I want you to take heart. And the first story is about this guy, this guy named Joseph. And I don't know, I don't know if you know the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph is, is the longest single story in the very first book of your Bible in Genesis. So I think there's something to be learned from the life and the times of Joseph. Just to recap the story, we don't have time to read all of it because it's such a long story, but I'll recap it for you. And you probably know parts of the story, but when Joseph was born, he was the youngest of 11 brothers. And uh, his, his dad, Jacob, uh, the Bible tells us, loved him the most. So now, parents, I don't know if you pick your favorites like I do, but um, Jacob had a favorite child. And the problem was the family knew it. And because of this, it created great tension in his family. But by the time Joseph is 17, his mother has died. I don't know about you, but I don't care what age you are, when, you're, when your mother passes away, that's a, that's a tremendous thing. It's a hard thing to go through. That, that may have been the first moment Joseph asked the question, where are you, God? Right? But when he turns 17, his dad gives him this, this coat of many colors that we, we've, we've seen the pictures of at VBS. We've talked about in Bible classes, this technicolor dream coat he wears. And, and it's the first time that his brothers look at him and they're like, man, they're so filled with anger and rage. In fact, Scripture tells us that that, that his brothers literally hated him. They literally wanted to kill him because of how much their father Jacob favored Joseph over them. To make matters worse, Joseph at a young age is having dreams. And in his dreams, uh, there's, there's a storyline where, where he's in the center and his brothers are all bowing down to him. Now, he's the youngest, they're the eldest. It shouldn't be this way. But in his dreams, he's dreaming that he's the one at the center and they're the ones bowing down to him. And Joseph tells his brothers about these dreams. I probably would have kept these to myself, but he tells his brothers these dreams. Again, they're filled with rage and fury and anger because of his youth and his confidence and his pride. And look at him. He's the center of the attention. He's the center of our father's attention. And now he thinks that one day we're all going to bow down to him. Yeah, right. And then comes that fateful day when Joseph, because he's the favorite, is hanging out in the tent with dear old dad in the cool of the shade. His other 11 brothers are off 
in the heat of the day, in the heat of the sun, tending the sheep, tending the flocks. And Jacob says to Joseph, hey, go check on your brothers. Of course, Joseph does. When his brothers see him coming, they were like, this is our moment. Let's kill Joseph. Let's be done with him. I'm done. I'm done with how dad favors him. I'm done with how he treats him differently. I'm, I'm done with how he gets the cushy life. And we always have to do the, the hard labor to keep the family running, to keep it all going. And so let's just, let's end it right now. Thankfully, in the middle of that group of brothers, the oldest brother, Reuben is his name, speaks up and he's like, hey guys, 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 I get it, but we, we can't murder our brother. We can't do that. Instead, let's just trap him in a pit and we'll figure something out later. But seriously, we can't kill our own brother. And so they do. Uh, Joseph comes on down the road. They get him. They trap him. They rip off his, his, his beautiful coat that their father had made for him. And they throw him in a pit. Well, Reuben walks off to take care of a few things. And while he's gone, these travelers come down the road. This whole story is in your Bible in Genesis. You should read it sometime. And the brothers, without Reuben there, say, hey, hey, this is it. This is the answer we're looking for. We've got him trapped. He's pinned down in this pit. He can't get out. Let's sell him as a slave to these travelers passing through. And they do. When Reuben gets back, he can't, and he gets back to the brothers, he can't believe what's happened. He can't even believe it. Well, Joseph now is, is a slave, and he's taken to Egypt, and he's sold to a man named Potiphar. Now, if you know the story at all, Joseph very quickly, because he's a smart dude, he rises pretty quickly to the top of Potiphar's household. In fact, he becomes in charge of his entire estate. And through all the ups and downs, it feels like finally Joseph's life is, is kind of getting together again. I can imagine that to this point in time, his life is nothing like what he thought it would be. But finally, he's risen to a level of trust and respect. And he's the head man, the head honcho in, the, in Potiphar's house. And he's in charge of the whole deal. And everything is going well except for one thing. Potiphar's wife has an eye for Joseph. Over and over again, Joseph refuses her advances until the day that Potiphar's wife looks around and she realizes no one is in the house except me and Joseph. For whatever reason, everyone else is off doing other things. And so she makes one final advance. And if you know the story, Joseph once again refuses her. But she's got a hold of his robe. And he says no to her once again. He says, I can't do this to you. I can't do this to, to my master Potiphar. He's been so incredibly good to me. And, be, and to top it all off, I can't do this because of my faith and my belief in God. The answer is no. And he runs away. But she had a hold of his robe. And she's got it there in, a, in her hand. And Joseph's out the door. And she thinks fast. And she screams. And she sells a, a, a bucket of lies to all the other people in the house, including her husband Potiphar, that Joseph was the one that made an advance on her and that she refused him. Well, Potiphar's mind is blown. It's exploding. He's filled with rage and fury. And he can't even really believe it. And for good reason, I might add. It didn't ever happen that way. But he has to make things right. And so Potiphar throws Joseph in jail. And for two years, Joseph is in jail. Now, listen, if anybody ever had reason to doubt God, <laughs> if anybody ever had a reason to say, my life didn't turn out the way I, I thought it was going to turn out, 
If anyone had a reason to be angry with God or bitter towards God, I mean, don't you think it'd be Joseph? I mean, thrown, uh, mother dies before he's 17 years old. He's thrown in the pit. He's sold as a slave. He rises to the top of that, but then he's accused of something he didn't do. He's sentenced to, a, to, 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 to prison for two years for a crime he didn't commit. And now he's riding away, and his future is, is more than uncertain. It looks dire. In the middle of all that, at least as we read the story of Joseph, it seems that he never lost his faith. And I want to read you just four verses that kind of crop up in the middle of, of this story that remind us of what God was doing in the middle of all this mess. Listen to these words. The Bible says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. The Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did. But while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor. And in this verse, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And how does the story end? Some of you know how the story ends. A short time later, Pharaoh, the head of all Egypt, the ruler of the world, has these dreams of his own. And he's looking for someone to interpret his dreams and, and none of his wise men can tell him what they mean. And then Pharaoh learns through a series of events about this guy that's sitting in one of his jails riding away who has the ability to tell him what his dreams mean. So Pharaoh brings Joseph up and sure enough, with God's help, Joseph is able to tell Pharaoh what his dreams mean. And through that series of events, Joseph is now raised to be Pharaoh's right-hand man. He's the second in command of all of Egypt. And he ends up saving Egypt from impending doom. And he ends up saving his family from starvation at the end of the story. And all of this happened because through his entire story, Joseph kept his faith in God. That even though time and time again, the future looked bleak, it looked uncertain, it looked impossible, Joseph always seemed to hold on to his faith. And God, he never blamed God. He never got mad at God. He didn't grow bitter towards God. He trusted that through it all, God was with him. And listen, maybe, maybe you feel like, in, in some ways, you can identify with Joseph. Because I know there are people in here that you feel like you have been treated unfairly. I know there are people in here that you feel like you have suffered injustice. And I know there are people in here that if I were to ask you, you would say, my life and my story has not gone the way I thought it would go. Things have not turned out like they should have for me. And am I mad at God about that? You bet I am. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little upset that the God of the universe, who apparently has all things under his control, has not protected me from this, or not saved me from that, or allowed me to go through this, or allowed me to, to suffer this. I don't understand. And if that's you, and I would argue that's been all of us at some point in our life, and maybe that's you exactly right now, can I just remind you of a couple things? One, if you're feeling that way, and if you're asking the question, where are you, God? I want to remind you, it's okay. It's okay to ask that question. 
Asking that question doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't even make you a bad Christian. It makes you human. In fact, if you read the Psalms over and over again, what you're going to hear is the prayer of faithful people who look to God and they ask questions like, how long, will Lord, is this going to last? Where are you, God? When will you rescue me from this current crisis? Over and over again, the prayers of the Psalms remind us that people, the people of God who, yes, we often do suffer, we often go through difficult times, they look to God for help and for answer and for rescue. So if you're wondering where in the world is God, it is completely okay to ask that. Because it's true. Jesus even said it himself in John 16, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But then he said this, take heart. Because I have overcome the world. The second thing, though, is this. Not only do I want you to, to realize it's okay to ask the hard questions of God, but I want you to remember the truth of Scripture. That all throughout Joseph's story, there was a common theme. And the same thing that's true of Joseph is true of you. Throughout Joseph's story, God was always, always, always present. He was always with him. He never left him. He was never far away. And God is always, always, always with you too. He is never, ever far away. After, after the attacks, you remember what happened on 9-11. Police officers, volunteers, firefighters, everybody was, 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 was rushing in to help. People were looking at the devastation around them and, and they, were, they, were, they were pulling back rubble, looking for any signs of life, hoping against hope that maybe some people survived on that terrible day. And in the middle of all that devastation, what people were looking for was, was hope. It was just something to give them hope one more time. And a couple of days after the attacks, there was a lady by the name of Ann Bybee who was crawling through the wreckage. Like a lot of people, she was trying to do her part to see how she could help. And she looked across the landscape as she, she turned the next corner and down in sort of a hole, she saw this. She saw two I-beams that formed a cross. And all she had on her was an old disposable camera. This is before camera phones, if you can believe that. This is before digital cameras. So she grabbed this disposable camera and snapped a picture, hoping that it would turn out. And then she mailed the film off, and when she got it back, she couldn't believe her eyes that she'd actually captured this picture at the middle of ground zero of a cross. I guarantee you, if she had a if she had Instagram back in 2001 and she could, have, she could have put that picture up, she would have gotten a million, millions of hits. Because in that picture, what she found was hope. And I think it's a powerful reminder. It's a powerful reminder for all of us that at the ground zero of our life, whatever it is, whatever the worst day of our life is, whatever the, uh, wherever, wherever the wheels came off and it all went awry, at, at every ground zero of our life, there stands a cross. And there stands a cross because, because Jesus put it there. He put it there to remind us, didn't he? That even when it feels like it's over, it's never over. I'm sure the disciples, when they stood at the foot of the cross and they saw Jesus, whom they had just spent three years following and trusting in his Messiah, I'm sure they thought the story was over. 
as they stood at the foot of the cross and they saw Jesus Christ literally crucified and die, murdered. It seemed like Rome had won and their life was over. What's going to happen next? Do we go back to catching fish? Do we go back to tax collecting? Do we try to go back to what life was like before? And immediately they scattered, but then a few days later they gathered. And three days later when they were sitting together, they received the news. And even though they thought it was over, it's not over. It's not over. Because Jesus is alive. And today, if you're in that situation where you are scared to death of the future, whether it's the future of our country, the future of your family, the future of this church, the future of your life, whatever the future holds, I want to remind you. I want to remind you to take hope in the cross. Because the cross reminds us that we have nothing to fear. Because we know what Joseph knew. We, we know what the disciples knew. We know that Jesus is with us. That God is with us. And come what may, come what may, we're going to lean into our faith. That we serve a God. A God that we know. So here's what I want you to do. When, when you're afraid of the unknown... When you're worried about the uncertainty of the future, when you're afraid of what's going to happen next, I want you to to put your faith and I want you to lean into what is known. I want you to choose to believe that God is exactly who he says he is. You know, people say this all the time, that it's not what you know, it's who you know. They they say that when you're looking for a job or looking for the next opportunity. The truth is that's true in all of life. It, It isn't what you know. It's not about what you know. You can't know the future. You can't know what's going to happen the next hour, 24 hours, six months, six years, 60 years. But it is about who you know. And you and I, we know the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And our hope and our faith and our trust is in him and him alone. Amen? That is where our hope is. Church, if you would stand. So this is my encouragement for you today. To lean in to who you know. To put your faith and who you know. One last quick story. I remember when my son was really little, I took him for his first haircut. Parents, you remember this day when you took your kid for the first haircut? He was terrified. I mean, it hurts when someone pulls your hair. What happens if they cut it? You know, that's like scary stuff. He wouldn't get in the chair. He wouldn't do it. He was refusing. He was terrified. He was shaking. He was so scared. So finally, I sat down. I was like, okay, let me go first, right? So I sit down. They cut my hair. Of course, I'm fine. I'm not bleeding. I'm not dying over here because of some haircut. And when he sees that it's all okay, he's, he's ready. And he's okay. And he's not scared anymore because his father had gone before him. And your father has gone before you. So you have nothing to fear. And I want you to, to relax, to breathe deep, and to remember where our hope is and where our faith is. And so as we sing this song, I'm going to ask our elders to just gravitate around the room and if they find someone to pray with, to pray with you and to, and to pray as, as we sing this song. And if, 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 for any, if there's anything in your life that you're nervous about, that you're scared about, if you want to just go to where they are and pray with them, I want to invite you to do that because we want to be filled with faith. And we want to let go of fear. And we want to live as people who have confidence in the God of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords,
our very best friend. We know his name. And what's more, he knows ours. And because of him, we have faith. We have faith to walk out on the water. We have faith to, to go wherever he calls us. We have faith. We have faith because he has gone before. And our hope and our trust is in him.